Great, thank you. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Again, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Ben. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Thrive City Church. Uh, I want you to know, whether this is your first time here or you've been with us for a while now, that we want this to be a place where you can come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you stick with us for any amount of time, you're going to hear us say that over and over and over again. It's our heart for you. It is our mission. We want you to be able to come to know God, to find freedom from your past, discover your God-given purpose, and to ultimately make a difference in the world. So whether you are here in person, maybe you are watching this later online, we just want you to know how glad we are that you have chosen to spend a moment with us. To quickly tag onto what Andrew was saying about some of our upcoming events, you can easily find those online on our website thrivecity.church slash events. Uh, we'd love to have you join. Uh, he kind of alluded to this. About, about a third of that church workday is cleaning up. The other two thirds are just meeting other people, right? Because on a Sunday morning, it's like, hey, what's up? And you sit down and then you sing and you write down some notes and then you leave. Uh, so we want to provide space for you to meet other people uh, and just have a good time doing it as well. If you happen to be joining us for the first time, we just started a new series of messages called Easter People. Easter People. So from now until Easter Sunday, what we are doing is examining different characters or circumstances within Scripture and seeing how the resurrection of Jesus impacted them. Right? Ultimately, we're learning that the resurrection impacts us. We are Easter People. Amen? We worship a God who has not only died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins, but who has risen from the dead, bringing us an opportunity to experience new and lasting and eternal and thriving life with God forever. I said this in the beginning, but we are not just people of the cross, but we are people of the empty tomb, and Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Ah, mom's always got my back. What up? So last week, what we did is we looked at the story of a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary was a woman of faith whose life had been radically transformed by the power of Jesus. And in response, in a response of gratitude, she dedicated her life to then supporting the ministry of Jesus. So what Mary did is she served Jesus by traveling with him and financially supporting his mission. Right? Remember, she was cutting the checks that Jesus would cash that would help him continue to do what he was called to do. And she continued to show up, even at the cross, in the face of possible persecution and maybe even death. We looked at how Mary lived her life not being defined by the things that she had been through, the darkness that she had been in control by, but by what Jesus had now called her to do, the best that he had in store for her. So now, as Mary grieved the loss of her teacher, she journeyed to the tomb to tend to his body, seeking to wrap his body with expensive spices and herbs. And when she arrived at the burial place, she noticed that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. This would be like going to a graveyard to visit a loved one and seeing their tombstone knocked over. What happened? Something's wrong. Thinking the body of Jesus had been stolen, Mary's grief was only intensified. And as she was weeping, she was met by two angels who asked her, why are you crying? 
all of a sudden, Jesus appears to her. Like we talked about last week, it wasn't until Jesus called her by name, Mary, that she realized what was happening, that her eyes were open to understand that Jesus was no longer dead, but risen again. And wasting no time, Jesus gave Mary a job to do. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary went to the disciples and told them, guys, guess what? I've seen Jesus. I've seen the Lord. Can you imagine how that was received? What? What are you talking about? Are, are you crazy? Have you finally snapped? So even though we read about in Scripture, Peter and John had also seen the empty tomb, we're going to read about the, the reaction of the rest of the disciples. And their reaction might surprise you. So this morning, we're going to continue to examine the resurrection story and see how Jesus took the huddled mess of his followers and turned them into a movement that forever changed the world. But first, let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we worship you today, a risen Savior, victorious over sin and death. And Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection changes everything. We ask that you would do a work within our lives this morning. Scripture tells us that your word never comes back void, that it does not come back without affecting change. So Holy Spirit, this morning we submit ourselves to your leading. May you change us and shape us. We speak against any distraction or disruption that might hinder what we need to hear from you today. May our time spent together be fruitful and productive and honoring to your name, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Next week, actually next Monday, I have an awesome opportunity to travel down to the wonderful world of South Carolina. You know, it's basically the same as New York in the springtime, right? Uh, I, I have this opportunity to go down and to be a part of a pastor's retreat with a couple other church planters and leaders. And while I'm really, really looking forward to this experience to spend a couple days away to, to finally just get a chance to relax, uh, it means that I have to fly. Guys, not a big fan of flying. Just going to be really transparent with you. I'm not afraid to fly. I just get really, really motion sick. Somehow this comes up in a lot of my messages. I think it's just because it's a big part of who I am. I'm just the queasy guy. You know, I always have to ride in the front seat if somebody else is driving. I'm like, look, I trust you and you're driving. I don't trust my stomach. So I'm, I'm that guy that like, I can't get on a swing set. I, a, it would be funny to see me on a swing set anyway. B, if I get on a swing set, I get motion sick. If you talk too fast, I get motion sick. So for me, the worst part about flying is not going through TSA or waiting to board the flight. The part that I hate the most about flying is having to choose what seat I'm going to sit in. Sometimes you're able to choose yourself. Sometimes they choose for you. But either way, for me, man, it just causes way too much stress. Just not worth it. And here's why. So both the aisle seat and the window seat have both their pros and cons. And if you stick me in either one of those, I'm probably going to be fine. 
right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. I'm going to handle it. However, if I end up in the middle seat in a row of three, I'm going to be hanging on for dear life until the end of the flight. Anybody with me on this one? The middle seat, no thank you. No, I'll walk. It's okay. I'll get there eventually. Oh. You see, with the window seat, what I can do is I can look outside, and even though I might be a little queasy, I can, I can try and guess where we are, I can, I can look at the landmarks, you know, I can look at the wing and make ca casual observations about whether or not it looks sketchy or not. Is it supposed to look that way? Is that rust? <laughs> In the aisle seat, you know, you can't really see anything, but at least you can get out, right? If you have to go to the bathroom, you're not trapped. But if you are in the middle, you got no options. You got no options. You're going to sit there, and you are going to question every moment of your life that led to this moment, putting you in that middle seat. But see, the issue of being stuck in the middle is not unique to airplanes. Being stuck in the middle of anything is typically a terrible experience. Right? Anybody remember growing up getting stuck in the middle seat of the car with your feet jacked up on that middle hump? Right? Coming home from the grocery store with you and your siblings? Or have you ever been stuck in the line at a drive-thru? Some of you fast food friends out there know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm going to get me some Taco Bell. And you go in, and all of a sudden you commit, you get in the line, and then all of a sudden you realize it's taking like 10 minutes per car. You can't back out any longer, and you have to sit there in your shame that you chose to spend like an hour and a half in the line waiting for Taco Bell. Taco Bell, if you're watching, I'm kidding, I love you. You see, beginning something is almost always easy. Beginning a journey, starting a road trip, it's almost always easy. And finishing something is always exciting. It comes with a payoff. You arrive at your destination. But the biggest mess is always in the middle. The biggest mess is always in the middle. So let me ask you this morning, what are you in the middle of? What are you in the middle of right now? Maybe you are looking to buy your first home. And at first, you were super excited and you loved scrolling through Zillow, but maybe after going to your 17th open house and being continuously outbid or being overwhelmed with contingencies, you just want it to be over. I don't care. Just, just give me a house. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I hate being stuck in this middle. Maybe the past two years have left you burnt out on experiencing world-changing events. Right? Anybody just feel like you've had a, a, a few too many unprecedented times? You're like, these seem pretty precedented at this moment. You find yourself thinking, man, I thought life was going to be a lot easier than this. When is all of this going to be over? When can I experience the life that other people had? And caught between a worldwide pandemic and the possibility of a world war, it feels like we are just stuck in the middle of so much. You see, it's in the middle that we start to lose hope. It's in the middle that we lose sight of what brought us here in the first place. It's in the middle that we begin to question if we can even keep going. But hear me this morning, there is good news no matter who you are or what you are in the middle of, Jesus Christ can meet you in the mess of your middle. So let's jump back into scripture and see how Jesus showed up for his disciples in their midst. Let's see if I can burn myself on some coffee. 
If anybody wants a mug, they're in the back. Feel free to take one on your way out. Shameless plug. At this point in the story, Mary Magdalene had left the empty tomb. She had reported what she had seen to the disciples in Mark chapter 16, which is a parallel account of the resurrection. Mark chapter 16, verses 10 and 11 says, She went and she told those who had been with him as they mourned and as they wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Mary, you're crazy. Tough crowd, right? We can only imagine how excited Mary must have been and how frustrating it would be to try and to convince others what she had seen. And we aren't told this in scripture, but I can only imagine that for a moment, Mary might have even questioned herself. Did I really see Jesus? It was such an exciting moment and I was so overwhelmed, but like, did I dream all of this? In the Gospel of Luke, another parallel account, we read about two Jesus followers who have an encounter with the risen Jesus on their way to a town called Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, verse 33, it says, And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, the disciples, and those who were with them gathered together. So what they did, they now began to tell them exactly what happened. Jesus is not dead. Guys, he's alive. We saw him. And the disciples must have been thinking, ah, this is getting a little interesting. First Mary, now you guys. But but Jesus? Are you sure? You know, I'm sure at the time there wasn't a shortage of of guys with kind of like nice looking beards. Right? You sure it was Jesus? Mark chapter 16, verse 13 says, they went back and they told the rest, but they did not believe them. The disciples, the fearless followers of Jesus who had traveled extensively with him over the course of three years, living life with him day in and day out, seeing him perform miracle after miracle, those who had watched as he was betrayed and arrested and beaten and taken away to be crucified, those same disciples now cowered in fear, locking themselves inside of a room, not knowing what was going to happen next. They were probably thinking to themselves, we're next. It's us. First Jesus, now us. I bet you Judas told them anything that they wanted to know in order to find us and lock us up and kill us. This is it, guys. It's been good knowing you. To put ourselves in their place for a moment, imagine just being terrified for your life. You have barely slept in days. You haven't eaten anything. You've been traumatized by what you and your friends have been through. And now you're huddled in a room together. The lights are off and you're jumping at every sound because anything at any moment could be the SWAT team knocking down your door. So here's the question that we want to ask ourselves. What changed? What changed? What happened that transformed this fearful mess of men into world changers who went out and fearlessly died for their faith? Think about it. These men, they were fearful for their lives. They left everything that they knew to go out and spread the message of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. What changed? They saw Jesus. The resurrection for them had changed everything. So this morning, like we did last week, we're going to be reading out of John chapter 20. Our main passage being verses 19 through 21. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Remember, they were afraid. They were huddled. They were, they were, they were hunkered down together, afraid for their lives. See this. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In this miraculous moment, we see the disciples being changed forever. The time that we have left together, I want to look at four things that changed the disciples, that gave them peace, that renewed their purpose and turned them from a mess into people with a mission. So number one, if you're taking notes, uh, and if you do see the, uh, the welcome things in front of you, there's a spot for notes on the back. Number one, they were changed by his presence. When Jesus died, the disciples thought that it was the end of Jesus' presence in their life. Everything that they had hoped for, that they had worked for, was gone. Their dreams for the future were no longer feasible. When Jesus miraculously appeared in their midst, like we read about in John, they were understandably afraid. Right? Sometimes, sometimes scripture uh, maybe doesn't quite convey the level of emotion that I think was there. Right? I'm not talking poorly about scripture, but it just says, Jesus came and stood, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Can you imagine what it must have been like in that moment? Like Mary, they didn't recognize Jesus immediately. And the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. Scripture tells us that then the disciples were glad, and I have a, a sneaking suspicion that they were overwhelmed with emotion, a flood of relief and excitement and confusion and joy, clamoring over one another. Jesus, is that really you? You see, it wasn't until they experienced the presence of the risen Savior that they were under, able to understand what was happening. See, they had heard reports of people that they loved and trusted. They heard from Mary and from Peter and from John that the tomb was empty and that Mary had seen the risen Jesus, but it wasn't until he showed up in their midst that they were able to understand and then experience peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, He himself is our peace. See, what's happening here is Jesus is not just saying, peace be with you. Like, don't be afraid. Hey, guys, cut it out. It's okay. I'm here. He's saying, I am peace. I am with you. Peace be with you. I am with you. Peace is not just the absence of trouble. It is the presence of God. So Jesus here in this passage, he brought them peace with his presence. And they realized, maybe for the first time, that Jesus really would never be leaving them. That he would always be present with them. That no matter what happened, if that SWAT team came in and knocked on the door, it would be okay. Because Jesus' presence would always be with them. You see, when God shows up in our lives, in the middle of our mess, it doesn't always make sense. 
but his presence always brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. So we are able to stand confidently in the middle, in the middle, in the mess of whatever we're going through because we know that Jesus is with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that no matter how hard we try, we cannot jump out of his loving arms. Amen? They were changed by his presence. Number two, they were changed by his wounds. Changed by his wounds. In verse 20, it says, they saw his wounds, then were glad. It wasn't just the face of Jesus or hearing his voice. It was when they saw his wounds, the holes in his hands, in his feet, the hole in his side. It gave them confidence that it was really him. You see, Jesus was in his resurrected body. It means that Jesus was not a spirit or a hallucination or a dream or a ghost. He was a real person who suffered a real death with real wounds, who then was really raised from the really dead. So this proved to the disciples that Jesus, in fact, had risen. It was not a vision or hallucination. It was the real deal. But not only that, it showed them that death was no longer the end. That it wasn't over. By showing up in their midst, being alive and well, and showing them the wounds that he had suffered, Jesus was saying, I came through, and so will you. I have defeated death. It is no longer the end. You no longer have to fear. It's okay. You may be beaten. You may be dismayed. You may even suffer for my sake, but it is okay. It is not the end. Think about this, only a few days previously, the last time that the disciples had seen these wounds as Jesus was was betrayed and beaten and led away to be crucified, it was part of the worst thing that they had ever experienced. Watching their, their dear friend, their loved teacher being led away to die. They had had their hopes in Jesus, not only as their spiritual savior, but as their political messiah. They thought that Jesus was going to go on, overthrow the government, and they were going to serve in his cabinet. So all their dreams and their visions died with Jesus on the cross. But now, all of a sudden, those same wounds that represented the worst thing that they had ever been through, all of a sudden represented the best thing that they had ever seen. We can learn from this that God can restore even the darkest of our days. I guarantee you, each and every one of us carries wounds with us. Scars in our lives, difficult times and seasons that we have been through that have changed us forever. Look, I've been through some tough stuff in my life, and while I I thank God that he has delivered me, he has healed me, he has led me through, I still carry those scars. I still have those wounds, and when I look at them and I think about them, it doesn't bring me back to the worst place I've ever been in anymore. What it does is it reminds me of how good God is, how he can restore, how he can redeem. It's casually going to drink some coffee. It's not because I'm about to cry. I get emotional about coffee. Number three, they were changed by his mission. 
So they were changed by his presence. They were changed by his wounds. They were changed by his mission. Verse 21 says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's not saying, I'm sending you on a quick errand to go get some milk, we're out. But I'm sending you on an official mission. The word that's used in the original language is like that of an, of an official mission on behalf of an embassy in a foreign country. Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm sending you on a diplomatic mission. So there's a lot of talk about foreign relations in the news recently, but a, a diplomat, what they do is they represent their home country in a foreign land. They are the representatives. They speak on behalf of their home country, wherever they are across the world. So what Jesus is saying, just like a diplomat represents their home country, you now are my representatives. You are not just my followers. You are now my hands and my feet, my agents of change in the world. This applies to us too. If you don't know this already, God has created you on purpose for a purpose. And when God shows up in the middle of your mess, he does so on purpose. It's not just for your good, it's for his glory. You see, God has not just saved us, he has sent us. This is good news. So like our mission statement says that I talked about briefly in the beginning, we not only want you to come to know God and find freedom from your past and discover your God-given purpose, we want you to make a difference. You were changed by his mission. This is something so important for us to understand because without speaking poorly about the modern day church, it has become somewhat of a spectator sport. Would you agree with me? That going to church is kind of like shopping for a car. Like, well, you know, I got, I got this list of things I'm kind of looking for. How close is it to my house? They got good coffee. They got anything for my kids. What's the music like? You know, does the pastor cry when he drinks coffee? I don't know. But we go through this, this, this list and we think that church is really just kind of what we can get out of it. But the truth is when, when we really press in and engage and, and lean into our faith, what we realize is that this is not about us. This is, this is about us joining on mission with God with what he is already doing. The, the things that God wants to do in our city, he will do through the church. He will use us. A lot of times we pray for God to do things in our city and then we sit on our hands refusing to do anything about it ourselves. When really God is saying, look, I have a mission for you. I have work for you to do the same way that you have been saved. I'm now sending you to help others experience the same thing. They were changed by his mission. Number four, they were changed by his spirit. Changed by his spirit. Jesus here didn't just wish the disciples luck and then bounce. He breathed on them. And he illustrated how he was going to give them new life. Verse 22 says that Jesus breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I don't know how this went down. I feel like, you know, there are some cultural differences, but I feel like breathing on another person would be equally as weird then as it is now, right? Maybe Jesus had a mask on or he was six feet away. I don't know. But either way, Jesus <sighs> breathed on them. It's right, he's got a resurrected body. His breath was like on point. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple differing views here. We have to understand that this is not necessarily the same as Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Many view what was happening as Jesus explaining what was going to happen shortly. Guys, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Check this out. In the original language, the word that, that we translate as breathed is the same word that is used in Genesis 2, verse 7, which is all about the creation of humanity. If you're familiar with the story, it says that God formed humanity from the dust of the earth and he breathed into us the breath of life. So hang in with me for just a second. You may know what we call the, the first Adam, right? Adam and Eve, they were in the garden together. Well, scripture calls Jesus the second Adam. You see, where, where the first Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded in the garden, right? As he prayed the night before he was crucified. Where Adam, the first Adam, sinned by eating fruit from the tree, Jesus, the second Adam, saved us from sin by dying in our place on the tree. In the same way that God first breathed life into the dust of the earth to create humanity, he has now breathed on us as his followers the Holy Spirit, the birth of a new people breathing life into us as a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You see what this means? Not only are we alive, we are alive in Christ. So we have been breathed on. They were changed forever by his spirit that empowered them to now live out the mission that God had given them. So I don't know what you are in the midst of right now, what you are in the middle of, but if you're anything like me, you probably have a lot going on in your life. However, I want you to know, you need to know this, that just like Jesus calmed the waves in the middle of a raging storm, and just like Jesus hung on the cross to die between, in, in the middle of two convicted criminals, and just like Jesus miraculously appeared in the middle of his disciples, bringing them peace and purpose, Jesus can show up for you. In the middle of your mess, remember this is not about what you can do for God, it is about what he has already done on the cross. So whether you know it or not, Jesus is able to be present in your mess. His presence brings peace and assurance that he will never leave you or forsake you. The holes in his hands and in his feet bring healing to our hearts and it lets us know that death is not the end. We know that, that his mission leaves us a marked people, that we have been given a purpose and a task to do. And lastly, his, his spirit now sends us out, replacing our fear with faith, breathing into us new life. I challenge you this morning, if you have not already, say yes to Jesus. Let him show up in the middle of your mess. It's important to understand that when I say that, 
but he'll show up in the middle of your mess. It doesn't mean your mess is gonna go away. But he will be with you in the middle of your mess. So Thrive City, we are a church and a people that Jesus has transformed from a people who are a mess to people who now have a mission. So let us be like the disciples who left everything behind to passionately follow what God had commanded. Let us be a church that boldly lives like ambassadors of the gospel. Let us be a people who live forever changed by the presence and by the wounds and by the mission and by the spirit of God. Let's be a people and a church who embrace our mess and who have been given a mission. As we close our time together, if the worship team, you guys wanna come back up. If you are willing and able, let's just take a moment, if you would be willing to, to just right where you are, extend your arms in front of you and open your hands. It doesn't have to be a big gesture. It can be a small and a simple sign of submission. Now understand there's nothing special or super spiritual about us holding out our hands. What it is doing, it's, it's simply a display on the outside that matches the position of our heart on the inside. So know this. Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. He is stronger than whatever you are in the middle of. Know this, that, that fear can't keep him out and, and failure can't keep him out and shame can't keep him out or embarrassment. Jesus this morning wants to breathe on you new life. He wants to give you peace. He wants to change your life. with your arms out, would you pray with me, Jesus? We thank you for this moment. And right now, we, we submit our mess to you, Jesus. We ask you to be present in the middle. God, right now, we pray for a fresh breath, a fresh wind from heaven. We ask that you would give us new life. We thank you, Jesus, for, for saving us, for transforming us, and for leading us. with our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, if, if you have never experienced the new life that Jesus offers and you want to take that next step and you want to be able to say, Jesus, I trust you and I believe that you have the best for me and I want to follow you with everything I have. I believe that, that what I read in scripture is true, that you have died on the cross in my place and you have risen again. I want to place my faith in you. If that's you this morning, would you pray with me? Remember, it's not about what, what you do for God. It is about what he has already done. Would you pray this with me? Jesus, all of me thanks you for all that you are. God, I thank you that even though I can't do this on my own, you came and you lived a perfect life. You set the perfect example not only did you live a perfect life, you died a perfect death on the cross in my place, taking my sin and my shame 
and putting them on your shoulders. God, I believe that you rose again. I believe that you give me new life. So Jesus, right now I submit everything I have to you. I place my trust in you. I place my hope in you. I place my my faith in you. Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. Do a work within my heart. Before we finish praying, if that was you, nobody's looking around, nobody's gonna call you out or point you out. If that was you and you made that decision to place your trust in Jesus this morning, would you raise your hand on the count of three just so I can see? One, I believe that God loves you so much. Two, I believe your life will never be the same. Three, just raise your hand letting me know. Okay, all across the room. Thank you, Jesus. God, you've seen these hands. You've seen their hearts. God, we thank you for the new life that you give. We rejoice with what you're doing within our church, the things that you have done, the things that you are continuing to do. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.